Good morning. This morning we'll be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I feel bad for Paul as he's writing this letter in his defense of the gospel because this church in Galatia is one that he had worked with, one that he had helped to plant the church to get it started in the first place. And now then others have come in and they have begun to proclaim there in that place a false gospel, one that has no power to, to save and in fact would bring the people under bondage again if it was not corrected. And so he must be very frustrated as he writes this. And as we look in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, what we're going to see is Paul having to explain in detail what he has done, where the gospel comes from, his partnership with other apostles, because someone has come in amongst the people and upset the gospel which he preached and is upsetting the church and is causing division and leading people astray. And to discredit the gospel, those who have come to upset the church have been claiming that they themselves have some sort of apostolic authority or that they are able to teach on the same level as Paul. They have denigrated his apostolic authority. They're also teaching that Paul is teaching a different gospel than the other apostles, and Paul is going to have to put a stop to that. He's going to have to tell the people who will listen exactly what has gone on. So let's look at Galatians chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 10, and we'll talk about Paul's defense of the gospel and how his defense of the gospel affects us, and how we might fall into the same trap the church in Galatia fell into. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation, and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship was to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They ask only that we would remember the poor, which I have made every effort to do. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that we will be careful with the things which you have entrusted to us through your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that we will stay true to the apostolic proclamation, which is able to set the souls of men and women free. And we pray that those of us who are free today in the gospel will continue to be free and not go back to the bondage of legalism. Father, help us. Help us to be the type of people who live according to the gospel, a people who are free. Lord, help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why did Paul go to Jerusalem? He had been working in the ministry for 14 years. That's a long time. 
That's four years longer even than our church has been planted here. So for 14 years he had labeled, uh, labored going abroad, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And after 14 years he received a revelation from the Lord to go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles. Now, why would the Lord do that? And why is Paul including that here? In God's providence, in his care, Paul was not there just to affirm the gospel that he had preached. It was to affirm, not because Paul was preaching the gospel, which, which Jesus had revealed to him, which God had given to him, and he was preaching the same gospel as Peter, so it wasn't as if God needed confirmation that Paul was preaching the same thing. So why did he send him to Jerusalem? I believe he sent him to Jerusalem to prepare for this very controversy that was going to happen in the Galatian church and elsewhere throughout the church. This became a problem, an ongoing problem in the church. And here Paul would be confronted with it as he goes to Jerusalem. And also in the future, it would establish the fact that he was with the apostles. And so God in his providence called Paul to go there. And what's at stake? What is at stake in what's happening with Paul as he meets with those in Jerusalem? When Paul goes up to Jerusalem, he takes a man with him named Titus. And Titus is not a Jew. There's a book named after him. Paul writes a letter to him. Titus becomes a pastor and an elder in a church. But Titus is not a Jew. Paul brings a Greek with him. Someone not of the circumcision. Someone outside of the house of Israel. And why did Paul do that? Most likely he did that because he wanted to show to the apostles and to those in Jerusalem the fruit that the gospel is bearing amongst all nations. And so he brings with him Titus, who would become one day an elder, a person who he was teaching and probably mentoring up into the position of being a pastor, an elder in his church, so that he could get to see the apostles. He could go to Jerusalem, worship with them there. And when they're there, in his providence, something happens that is going to happen again in Galatia. And it's going to happen again over and over throughout the churches because these false teachers do not give up. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see they had to have a council because of this teaching and gather together and figure out what was right. Little did Paul know that Titus' presence was going to bring controversy. Titus, as I said, was not a Jew. He was not raised under the law. He didn't know the Old Testament. When he came to Christ, he was not circumcised. He had had no bar mitzvah celebration. Didn't know anything about the Jewish faith at all, really, until he became born again. Everything he knew about the gospel, he learned from Paul, and he learned by coming to Christ. But while they were there, some false brothers, as Paul says here, to spy on the freedom that they have in Christ, it's an interesting thing to say, that they were spying on them. Now these men who had come to Jerusalem were wearing the name of Christian. They had come to Jerusalem as Christians to spy, Paul says, on the apostleship. I want you to keep that word in mind. They were spying on them. They didn't come to fellowship. They came to spy. And Paul says they came to spy out the freedom which we have in Christ. They were purposefully looking for, when Paul says freedom in, in Christ that we have, what Paul means is this, they were coming to see if we were going to circumcise the Gentiles. We, Paul calls it the freedom we have in Christ, they would call it disobedience to God's word. They were just there to see if they were forcing the Gentiles to confirm to their understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't come for fellowship, 
They didn't come to rejoice in Christ. They didn't come just to meet with the apostles. They came to spy. And when they saw what they didn't like, when they saw what they didn't like, they began to harass Titus. They began to talk to him. So Titus there, as a Gentile, comes with Paul. Imagine this. Paul's excited. God has said, hey, Paul, go to Jerusalem. And so Paul gets his buddy Titus. says, Titus, I want you to come with me. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. We're going to meet the apostles. We're going to worship there. I'm going to preach the gospel to them. I'm going to talk to them about the gospel. Make sure everybody's on the same page, and I want you to be there to see it. I want you to be there to fellowship with them. Exciting, right? So he brings his friend, his, his mentee, the person he's teaching, up to meet the apostles and to talk about the gospel and to rejoice and fellowship with them. And all of a sudden, these guys come in, and they're like, Hey, Titus, where are you from? They don't care about him. They're spying. The questions they're asking... It's not because they want to get to know Titus. They just want to see if he's circumcised. Titus, where are you from? I'm a Greek. Oh, you're a Greek? You raised in a Greek house? Yeah, yeah, I was Greek. Heard the gospel, came to Christ, praise the Lord. They said, well, have you been circumcised, Titus? Titus probably went, no. Why would I be? It's a good question, isn't it? Why would I be? And they said, well, if you're not circumcised, you can't be part of Christ. For God has given to Abraham an everlasting covenant that his children will be circumcised on the eighth day. And anyone who came into Abraham's household had to be circumcised. And so if you're not, you're not going to be one of us. And in fact, you're living disobedience to God's word. Now imagine that. Here Paul is to bring this guy along with him to show him the apostles and the church and how great everything is. And what he runs into is these people who say, you're actually not one of us. You're outside the faith. And that's what is at stake. The freedom. What does Paul mean that they are free? Jews are free to be Jews. They're free. They're free to circumcise their children. They're free to celebrate the bar mitzvah. They're free to celebrate all these things in Christ. As long as they don't say that these things are for salvation, they can do whatever they want to do. Jews can be Jews. People from Alabama can be Alabamians. Gentiles can be Gentiles. Salvation does not rest on works. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ. And that's what sets us free. Free to be who God has called us to be. Free to do whatever we need to do for the sake of the gospel as long as it is not sin. And what I want to tell you today is that the freedom that was at stake in Paul's day is also at stake in your heart this morning. This issue which Paul was dealing with in the first century in Galatia is going on in your heart this morning. And it will go on in your heart until the day that you die. Because our impulse is to side with the circumcision. Though it may not be the issue of circumcision, it will be something else. And that is what we must we must always think about, what must we do to be saved? And the answer to that is always believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the answer. I want to add to it. And if you don't watch out, instead of coming to fellowship and rejoice with other Christians, you'll come as a spy. Because really, you'll just start winnowing them out to see if they agree with your pet doctrine or whatever it is you like. And whenever you find out whether they do or they don't, then you will exalt in that thing. And that's what the Judaizers did. That's what they're called as Judaizers, people who taught that you had to conform to the law of Moses in order to be a Christian. So the reason Paul went to Jerusalem, he thought, was to confer with the apostles and 
make sure they were all on the same page. And that is part of the reason that God called him there. But the reason he came is so that he could run into these guys who are teaching false doctrine. The Bible says here that the apostles did not add anything to the gospel that Paul preached. Paul was preaching the same gospel as Peter. Paul was preaching the same gospel as James. They were all preaching that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, there is no difference in Christ. Preach Christ and Him crucified. Preach Christ and Him risen from the dead. Preach Christ that whoever loves Him, the Father will love. That whoever believes in him will never perish and have everlasting life. doesn't matter who they are, where they are, what language they speak. You preach that message to them, they'll be saved. Teach them that. If they will believe, they will be saved. Because it wasn't Peter's gospel. And it isn't Paul's gospel. And it wasn't James' gospel. And it's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. It's the Lord's good news. We are to herald His good news. We don't get to act like it belongs to us. It doesn't. It's free. It's free from us. It's free to us. It's the gospel of grace. Paul didn't preach freedom in Christ because Paul loved freedom. That's not why he did it. Paul preached freedom in Christ because Jesus loves freedom. There's a difference. Paul loved freedom because Christ loves freedom. And Christ has come that whoever believes in him might be free. And those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. Some of us aren't free. We're enslaved. And I wonder if you're free this morning. Or if you feel trapped. You feel trapped in life, your circumstance. I'll tell you some things that trap people. I'll tell you some things that are going to trap you in the future. You're going to have to get untrapped. You're going to have to get free from the sin that so easily entangles us. Tradition traps people. Tradition trapped the Judaizers. These people who said that you must be circumcised to be saved, they were trapped. They were trapped by their tradition. They couldn't get past the idea that they had been circumcised since the day of Abraham and the fact that these Gentiles were not submitting to that they could not stand it and that was the only thing they could think about. You can't be us if you're not like this. And here's what happened. They began to say that you must be circumcised to be saved. They could not be satisfied that they were circumcised themselves and enjoy the traditions which their fathers had given to them. They couldn't enjoy the tradition for what it was. They had to require it as a part of salvation. And that was their error. No. They, not, they could not rejoice in their traditions unless they forced their traditions on others. They elevated it to a requirement of salvation and tried to force it on the people who were around them. And I see that today as well. They came in with this thought in their mind and they spied out the people. And when the people didn't say the things that they wanted them to say, then they went after it. And that's the only reason they were there was that one thing. They thought that everything rose and fall in this one tradition that was in their head. We have people doing that today. It traps them. We have people running around telling everyone what it means to be a Christian and what you have to think and who you have to follow and what you need to do when you don't follow their people. We don't speak the words of their tribe. Then you're no longer a Christian. They watch for those who disagree with them and then they blast them on social media and everywhere else they can. One of the first signs, I think, that you might be trapped. I want you to listen to this. One of the first signs that you might be trapped is that you think your job is to sniff out heretics. 
If that's what you think your job is, you're almost certainly trapped in Judaism. Almost certainly. It's not our job to weed out the heretics. There are no gatekeepers here. We preach the gospel. Now, that's not to say that we don't rebuke if uh, false gospels arise in the church, that we don't deal with false doctrine with error, but we don't sit around looking for it. Like, hey, what are you believing? What are you doing all the time? Because it's not about that in the kingdom of God. To watch for anyone who disagrees with us and to feel like we have to constantly be under a vigilant state of policing. Because I'm going to tell you a few things about people, Christians too. There are people who are saved who believe dumb stuff. I'm going to tell you how I know it's true. (laughs) I have believed dumb stuff. (laughs) Like, if I could get in a time machine, go back to when I first got saved, I would never do this, for not just because of the philosophical problems, but because it would be too awkward to bear. I could not even stand to listen to myself talk about some of the dumb things I believed when I first got saved. But I will tell you this, I was saved. (laughs) Jesus never abandoned me because I believe some kind of dumb stuff. Every systematic theology class I had, we spent about 20 minutes trying to get half the class out of heresy. It was accident. That's what I do in my 4th through 6th grade Sunday school. I made heretics of all the kids and then got them out of it in 30 minutes. It's like a neat uh, TV episode or something. You have to teach them. You know, children who are in 5th grade can come to Jesus. Did you know that? It's true. Little babies. Little, well, we got to be careful. Well, John the Baptist did leap in the womb, but what I'm saying is little children can come to Jesus. They can, and they do. And they can't explain the Trinity worth a flip. They can't. They do not know what the hypostatic union is. Can you imagine? Some of you are going, yeah, it's amazing they don't know what that is. If, if, if we got down with you with some uh, real PhD-level academic talk about Jesus and the Trinity and how Jesus is man and God and what it means for the Father to be God and the Son to be God, I would not be surprised if 30 or 40% of us had messed up ideas about how the Trinity works. I'm serious. I'm sorry to say. And we work hard at not being in error or misspeaking. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's graciousness, is that our hearts are often better than our heads, and we don't often understand everything about everything. And if we spend all our time doubting all the time that other people are Christian because they can't get certain things right, because maybe they haven't learned or God hasn't brought them along and they haven't been discipled or a hundred billion other things, you become a very bitter spying Christian, and all you're doing is looking around and saying, I don't think half the people in the church are saved. Because they don't believe right. They don't say right. They don't do right. And all of those things are super important. I hope you know that because we spend lots of our time teaching doctrine and soundness and truth. But if you don't have any mercy, pity, and compassion and you come to a class to spy to make sure that these people aren't heretics, you are messed up and won't have any joy. You won't have any happiness in Christ. Paul said that they've come to spy on the freedom that we have in Jesus. They come to steal your joy. Because all they do is argue. Apostles didn't add anything to the gospel that Paul preached. 
It was as simplistic as I told you before. There's a lot of things we've got to believe. There's a lot of things we've got to be discipled into. There's a reason that only a certain number of people can become elders because there's a lot of stuff we need to know. We have to be patient in teaching. We have to be patient in correcting. We have to be patient as people learn and are brought along. We've got to teach people who might come to Jesus when they're five, and we've got to talk to people who've come to Jesus when they're 50, and they've come out of a background of terrible doctrine. Jesus can save them, and he does. Because what the gospel is supposed to lead to is not to bitterness and to worry and to strife and some kind of police state where we've got to clamp down, make sure everybody's being careful. It's supposed to lead to joy and good works. I find it very interesting here. In uh, verse 9 and 10, when James, Cephas, and John, that Cephas is Peter, those recognized as pillars, the apostles, Acknowledge the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentile and they to the circumcised. So he's saying, hey, guys in Galatia, I'm not on a different page with the apostles. They sent me out to do this job because they recognized we had the same gospel. And then he says, they asked only that we would be very careful to remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Now, isn't that an interesting thing for them to say at the end? Because the apostles were all there when these guys came up and said, hey, Titus needs to be circumcised. And they did not give in to them. He said, even for one hour, so that our freedom and joy would not be stolen by them. They didn't give in to them at all. All the apostles were there. So this false doctrine had come in. They had had this controversy. Titus was there. People were upset. And when they leave, they say, hey, make sure you'd think they'd say... Hey, make sure you tell the Gentiles that they're all free in Jesus. That's not what they say. That was assumed. They said, hey, when you go out there, take care of the poor. <laughs> because the gospel leads to good works if you've got joy. There are gatekeepers, to, gatekeepers, gatekeepers, whatever you want to call them. They're out there today. I'm telling you, they're out there today and they're messing up the world of the church. And it's driving me nuts. Because they're terrified that we're going to fall into some kind of social gospel. You ever heard that before? Social gospel? Oh, it's the boogeyman. What's the social gospel? The idea that Christianity is boiled down to helping the poor and the needy. They don't, they don't want that. They're afraid that this will somehow distract from the gospel or detract from it. And if someone means by social gospel that good works and kindness and benevolence replace the gospel itself, I would agree with them. But that's not what's happening. It's not what's happening. There are people who, if we said these exact same things, hey, when you go out preaching the gospel, remember the poor, which is not just to make, oh, remember them and pray for them, but for actually feed them, clothe them, make sure they got a place to stay. And he doesn't say the poor Christians. He says the poor. Blessed are the poor. Remember the poor. When you go where you're going, when you do what you're doing, remember the poor people. Why would they say that? Don't they know that if you set up a soup kitchen as a church, you've probably lost the gospel? We were made to do that for good works and help people. It's the point. But we got a bunch of spies, and they're so worried about what you might believe and what you might do that they can't do anything else but spy, steal freedom. They feel like they got to make sure everybody's doing it right like they would do it. But Paul is told by Cephas and John and James, please remember the poor. Remember them and help them. 
The Judaizers, these guys are worried about getting everybody circumcised. <laughs> Cephas worried about getting everybody fed. They didn't do this to gain favor with God. They didn't feed the people, take care of the poor to gain favor with God. They did it because they had favor with God. And they believed that the dirtiest old bum on the side of the road was a beautiful person made in the image of God and that he ought to have food and help and care. That's what they believed. Precious children, God's children in need of help. So I want you to think about this because I think this is another trap. Tradition is a trap. What do you think if, if you're free or if you're in bondage? you worry more about the doctrines that people might teach? Or do you take time first to think about your own heart? And if it's tender towards the poor and the needy, and your brother and sister, where is it first? When you think of the poor, do you feel compassion? Or do you feel like, despising feeling like maybe they did this to themselves and they deserve where they are like they are not owed anything by you because they should just work harder and save smarter does the gospel make you like Cephas and John and James and Paul where you see the poor and you have compassion or are you like a Judaizer who say God helps those who help themselves that is not in the Bible in fact, it's a lie. God helps those who can't help themselves. If he didn't, we're doomed. How is the gospel shaping your life and your love for others? How is the gospel making you as a person? Are you a gatekeeper? Are you a spy? Are you trying to ferret out whether or not people believe the right things? And then maybe you can have fellowship with them. Because I'm going to tell you what happens in those places, in those circles never satisfied. They're always worried that somebody's going to slip off into apostasy so they can never enjoy the moment. They're always thinking that these people they're talking to may or may not be saved and they're just worried about it all the time. We can't be that way and function like we're supposed to. We have to take people at their word. They love the Lord Jesus. That they believe he died for their sin and rose from the dead and that because Jesus has set them free, that they are free now to serve others, to show others the joy and the love and the hope that they have. We should preach the gospel. We should be careful about our doctrine and make sure that we stick according to Scripture. But we do not need to become heresy hunters and spies. And that's our only function. You don't have to go set yourself up a blog and tell everybody about all these dummies out there that are doing all these dumb things. And you know, here's the thing also, I'm sorry to say, that pastors and churches do dumb stuff. And they still serve the Lord. They do. Good intentions, they make mistakes. Every last one. Every church in this town is imperfect. It's true. It's true. All their pastors are messed up. <laughs> Including this one. All their people are messed up. There are churches out here who have incorrect doctrine. Churches that Jesus loves. People in there Jesus died for. Taking care of them every single day. I want us to be a people who are free. I want you to be free from that. Worry. I want you to 
embrace the joy of salvation and freedom in Christ. He set you free, set others free. What I want you to do as you're free is I want you to love the poor. Think about this. Love the poor. Love those who struggle. Love the needy. Think about this poor person, whoever they are, whatever reason they're poor. We don't care. I don't care. I don't care how they got poor. I don't care how they got in their spot. doesn't matter. I want the Lord to save them. I want them to be well. We see people who come in here sometimes and they're on drugs. I'm going to tell you, they come right up in here on drugs. Come in the church on drugs. <laughs> it's awful. They have sores on their face. Their teeth are coming out. They can't stand still. This is every week almost. They don't have no grocery money. How are you going to feel about that? You know what I think? These people need some food. I can't. They're in a bad spot. I don't know if they can ever come back. I don't know. I don't know if they will. But my concern for their well-being is what I want Christ to keep always at the forefront of my heart and my mind. I want them to know the gospel. We tell it to them. We invite them to church. They could come in here in the same condition they come in and ask for food. And we should love them and have compassion. God can save them. He can. If you despise them because it's their fault, <laughs> it is their fault. Let's just get that out of the way. They're accountable. So are you. So what? I bet you've done some dumb stuff. I bet you've done some sinful things that if people in here found out about what you had done or are doing, you'd be humiliated. And Jesus knows it. He loves you. And you're welcome to be here today and you're free. Come on. Love the poor. This is what's at stake. This is why Paul's defending the gospel. It's not an academic exercise of, well... Here in this passage, he doesn't spell out why the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. He just says, we're free. Titus didn't have to be circumcised. He's free. You're free. And what we're going to do when we got together, we met and preached. We said, hey, just tell the people Jesus set you free. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. that if you would believe in him, you would never perish but have eternal life. Do you believe this? If you do, you may be saved. Free. And tell others of the freedom that you found. God has saved me. Jesus saved me from things that would have destroyed me. Destroyed me. He keeps saving me. Is he saving you? Are you trapped? Do you feel the pressure like you've got to be the police? You don't have to do it. Love the people. Have compassion on them. And even when they're in error, have compassion on them and be patient and kind and gentle. And perhaps God will lead them to repentance. That's all of us. And that's what we're called to do. And that's the kind of love we're called to have. And it's hard. And that's why we default to Judaism. I mean, Judaizers. That's why we default to law. Because that's how we want to justify ourselves. But it won't work. It will enslave us. And we slay those around us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.